Are you ready for the word? I've missed you guys for the last few weeks. I'm ready to preach. Are you ready to be preached to? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter number two. This is arguably one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. In fact, it was this text that I preached when I first came here. This text has spoke to me many times over the years, and today I wanna pull a new angle out of it that I've not shared before. Mark chapter two, it says, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many gathered together so that there was no room, no more room, not even at the door. And he, speaking of Jesus, was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him and they had made an opening and they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. Jump down to verse 11. I say to you, arise or rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he arose immediately, picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Maybe you've heard this story before. Maybe you've read it. Maybe you've heard it in Sunday school or maybe you've heard me preach it before, but it's really a powerful text. This man, we don't know much about this individual. We don't know his name. We don't know how he became paralyzed, but we know this, that he is handicapped. He's living with, he's incompetent, he's incompetent of walking. He is broken in need of a miracle. And the Bible lets us know that four friends bring him to Jesus and when he gets to Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus really does a couple things. He looks at him and he says, your sins are forgiven you. And then he looks at him and says, pick up, you're healed, pick up your bed and, and walk. In just one encounter with Jesus, this man had experienced salvation, healing, and deliverance from the bed that he used to depend on. In just one encounter with Jesus, this man's life was completely transformed. And so when we read this text, it's encouraging, it inspires us, it reminds us that nothing is impossible with God. It reminds us that our God is a miracle worker. It reminds us that our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we may ask or think. This, this is a good, this is a good story. But we wouldn't know this story if it wasn't for these four, these four men. We wouldn't know this story. This wouldn't make it in the pages of your Bible if it wasn't for these four men that took responsibility to carry this man to Jesus. And so just, if you will, for a few moments, just walk with me as we go through this verse together. The first thing I want you to know if you're writing notes is this. They came, they came. Mark chapter two says that many were gathered together so that there was no room, 
not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came. Isn't there just something about gathering together with the people of God? Isn't there just something when you could just get to church on Sunday morning, gather together, and hear worship, feel the faith in the room, connect in the lobby, get to hear a word from God? Isn't there just something that happens in God's house that just doesn't happen anywhere else? I know outside they, they tried to divide us by race and class and economic status and what side of the tracks are you from and what was your, your pedigree and how much education you had. But when you come to the house of God, rich folk talk to poor folk, black folk talk to white folk, white folk talk to black folk, people sitting together, people worshiping together. Because there's just something about gathering together. The Bible says to not forsake the gathering together. In the last few years, we've experienced in the church a statistical decline that is so sharp, really, from COVID, where people don't see the importance of gathering together. And, and I don't know, I, you know, they tried to tell us the church wasn't essential and I'm not gonna get into what your convictions are and what your beliefs are about how things could have been handled and how things should have been handled and how things, whatever. But let me just tell you this, the church is still gathering. We're still together, we're still worshiping, we're still praising, because there's some people, I believe, in the golden triangle who believe that where two or three are gathered, he said, I will be in the midst of you. That's good news right there. They came. But it doesn't just stop there. The Bible says they came bringing. They came bringing, Mark chapter two, verse three. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Now hear me, there is no introduction to these men. We, we don't know their name. We don't know their lineage. We don't know what cities they come from. We don't know a lot about these, these four men, but one thing that we do know is that they came bringing. When was the last time you came bringing? When was the last time that you brought somebody to the house of God? Or when was the last time that you took time to invite somebody from work or had a conversation with somebody about Jesus. I figured it'd be quiet right there. Let me just keep moving. Must have been her husband. You need Jesus. Shut your mouth. I'm just kidding. Good. Thank you. Seven out of 10 people will live their lives and never be invited to church one time. Seven out of 10. 51% of Christians, hear me, 51% of Christians do not know or understand the Great Commission. 
Mark chapter 16, Jesus said to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. This is not a suggestion. This is a command that we go out and impact our culture, our family, our workplace, our schools with the love of God. 51% of people don't know or don't even understand it. Christians. 47% of practicing Christian millennials believe that evangelism is wrong. They believe that it is intrusive to push your beliefs on somebody else. That's what my generation, millennials, that's what we tend to believe. And if you're a millennial in the room and that is your belief, uh, do not let culture define your evangelism tactics. The Jesus told us to go into all the world, compel them. He said to go and compel them to come in. Are you with me? A healthy, effective church is one where people don't just come, but they also bring. And, 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 it, and it's important for us to understand that if we found life, if we found this life-saving power, then we need to get the news out. We get the news out. The other day, my son Judah was getting a haircut, and when we were leaving, he grabbed one of the suckers, and I said, why don't you grab one for your sister? He grabbed one for his sister, and he's in the car eating the sucker, and we're on our way to the, uh, back to the house, and I heard him say, do you think Lily would mind if I ate her sucker? <laughs> and I looked in the rearview mirror, and he had both of them in his mouth at the same time. It made me think of this message as I was putting it together that it is funny that naturally, the longer we go to church, the more we consume and the less we contribute. The more we only come and it's about our sucker and it's about what we get and it's not about bringing anybody else to Jesus anymore. Charles Spurgeon said, I will not believe that thou hast tasted of the honey of the gospel if you can eat it all to thyself. I was reading this week, and Pastor Tommy helped me with some statistics. He sent this to me. I thought this was really profound. They did, a re, they did some research, this uh, study, and they found that 6 to 8% of people, what brought you to church? This was the main question I was asked, what brought you to church? 6 to 8% walked in on their own initiative, 6 to 8%. 2 to 3% liked the program the church offered. 8 to 10% liked the pastor. <laughs> Thank you. 3 to 4 percent had a need met by the church. Three to four percent was attracted by Sunday school. And 70 to 80 percent was invited by a relative or a friend. Look at the statistical difference. We couldn't even break past 10 percent on all the other categories but just basic word of mouth, inviting someone to experience Jesus. The Bible says they came bringing. Well, this is not a suggestion, church. We have a responsibility that if we found a good sucker, I'll use anything to preach. <laughs> that we need to make sure others find this life-giving source. We need to be, we need to be bringers. The Bible lets us know that Andrew brought Simon, Philip brought Nathaniel, the father brought his possessed son to Jesus, and these four men brought this paralyzed man to the healer, the great physician. I think we need to adopt 
the attitude of these four men that they are not the stars of the story. Though, when you read the story, what's interesting, that the man who was sick is actually referred to less than the four men. The four men are mentioned more than the man who is sick. Oftentimes, we read the story thinking of the man. Today, I need us to read the story to think of the four because we wouldn't know about the man if it wasn't for the four. And so what we find in this scripture is maybe the Holy Spirit puts it in the word of God for you and I to just wrap our heart around the truth that there is a responsibility on our part that we gotta bring some people to Jesus. I'm not talking about good, perfect people. It doesn't matter where they come from. Bring them to Jesus. You got track marks in your arm? Great. Let me invite you to meet Jesus. Are you from this part of town? Great. It doesn't matter. Let me invite you to meet Jesus. Are you divorced? Doesn't matter. Your last church kicked you out? Doesn't matter. Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, wherever you have experienced, whatever you have gone through, it doesn't matter when you meet Jesus. Is there anybody thankful for Jesus today? The Bible says not only did they come, not only did they come bringing, but the Bible then says that they removed the obstacles. They removed the obstacles. Mark chapter two, verse four. When they could not get near Jesus because of the crowd, which by the way, let me pause there. I love that there's big crowds around Jesus. I, I do get a little tired of people demonizing large crowds as if lesser crowds is more spiritual and more authentic. When you look at the Bible, multitudes were around him all the time. So let's not demonize the size of a room and let's just remember Jesus had big crowds too. Let's keep moving. They removed, let me just get that off my heart. They removed, because sometimes, I'll get back to this, because sometimes, because I grew up in a small church and sometimes people will say, well, you know, you know, those bigger churches, they, they just want money and they just want to count the heads. They just want to, anybody scratching their head, they count them as salvation. You know, I've heard all kinds of stuff people say about larger crowds. But let me tell you something. If, if we're talking souls, numbers should matter a, a lot. If we're talking heaven and hell, well, numbers don't matter. Oh, they don't? All right, well, then I'd love to meet you in the lobby. I got some $1 bills that I would love to change with for $10 bills if numbers don't matter. But in the house of God, I believe they were jammed to the door and there's biblical precedent to get as many as you can in and the church ain't big enough till everybody's saved on the earth anyway. All right, let me move on. I don't know if second service will get that, but somebody needs to remind me to do whatever I just did. The Bible says they removed the roof above him and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Anything that stood in the way for this man to experience and hear about Jesus, those four men took the initiative to remove it. Listen to me. Jesus didn't remove it. The four men who carried the bed, 
They took responsibility to remove the roof that was in the way of the man experiencing Jesus. Could this be one of the reasons why people don't want Jesus? Is because there are so many obstacles that us church people put in the way. So when we try to invite people to experience Jesus, we bring them to rules and regulation and denominationalism and headquarters and, well, and this, this and this translation of the Bible and this kind of church. And it's just, it's too complicated. Just remove the obstacles and get them to the presence of God. Get them to, to Jesus. I believe that's one of the reasons people don't want to experience God, don't want anything to do with Christianity because many of them have experienced the wrong version of it. They've gone to some meeting, they've gone to some, had a conversation with some well-intentioned person that did not know how to remove the roof for people who may be interested in hearing about Jesus. So they may have complicated the conversation or they stepped into a service and the minister and well-meaning men and women who were doing what they know to do can sometimes just complicate things for people who are just trying to come to Jesus. I'm reminded in the Bible in Acts, there's a story that says that there were many Gentiles turning to Jesus. And the, gen and the Jewish people and, and the, the preachers of the time were very complexed and, or perplexed about them peop the people coming to Jesus that were not like them. So they had what they called the Jewish council. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 15, but let me just show you a verse that they said, verse 19. And so my judgment is, Peter said, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So let me just help you out with who Gentiles are. You. And aren't you glad that we're allowed in by the blood of Jesus and the family of God? And what they're debating in first century church is oftentimes debated in our century church. We should not make it difficult for the man to come to Jesus. They brought the man directly to Jesus. I believe Jesus wants to build his church. I believe that Jesus wants to reach as many people on this planet that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But I think the church, if we're not careful, and I'm not pro-beating up on churches, but I do want you to have an understanding. I think if we're not careful, churches can make things so complicated with fighting and disunity and religious attitudes that, that people have a hard time getting to Jesus. Let me just quote a friend of mine from Canada named Joe, Joe Beasley, who pastored for many, many years. He said this, that this man was lucky to not have been sick in our time because we would have stood around that bed and argued doctrine and what style of church he should go to. And Well, my grandma said this about the Bible, and no, we should, and then, and then, and this. And the man was lucky to be paralyzed in the time Jesus walked on earth. Because if he was paralyzed now, we'd be fighting and bickering and don't take him to that church and don't take him to this place and they got this kind of translation of the Bible. Here's what I say. If you can just get him to the presence of God, God will do the work. 
Hear me today, a healthy, effective church is one that helps remove the obstacles for people. I've heard people say, and I'm sure you have too, why do they need all those people singing on stage? And, and, and why do they need such a big kids ministry? Why do they need a legacy team? Why do they need greeters down there? Why do they need a coffee shop? Why do they need people cleaning the building and prepping and putting papers and pens? That's, doesn't that just seem unnecessary, all those dream team members? And, well, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to remove obstacles. <laughs> Are you with me? We're, we're trying to create an experience that is easy for people from all walks of life, from different backgrounds, from different economic status and classes that can step into our building no matter where they come from and be in their bed. And when they walk in, it's almost like the greeters grab one corner, parking lot team grabs the other corner, coffee team grabs this corner, kids checking grab. We're gonna get you in the presence of God. We don't want this to go off without a hitch. You come in the auditorium, the praises go up, the lights come down, and people say, oh, it's dark in here, that's full of the devil. I've heard all kinds, I'm a pastor's kid, I've heard it all. We, well, I'll tell you why we lower the lights, because it's an, intimate, it's an intimate setting. You're worshiping God. You don't wanna just sit there and be like. <laughs> Worship God like this, like. And there are some people that's like, turn the lights on, I'll, I'll get down with it, me and Jesus. But can I tell you, there's something about the lower lighting, the intimacy, the great mood in God's presence, Pastor Tyson and the team leading us into worship. It's just like they're removing the roof or something. It's just like faith is in the room. People who are broken and hurting, tears begin to flow and hearts begin to be touched. We're just trying to create an environment and we know that we're not the healer. We know that we're not the great physician. We know that we are not the glory of God. But what we do know is there's somebody's husband who's been addicted to alcohol coming on a Sunday morning and we gotta put our best foot forward. There's somebody praying for their teenager to get saved. And I don't know which Sunday they're gonna show up, but some Sunday they're gonna show up and somebody's gonna give an invitation. Worship's gonna go up. Somebody's gonna say, do you wanna give your life to Jesus? And all the years that mother's been praying, all the years that father's been fasting, and all of a sudden somebody grabbed one end, somebody grabbed the other, and that teenager raised their hand and said yes to Jesus. It was worth it all. Come on, give him praise in the house. We can't do the healing, but we can remove the roof. We can't save the souls, but we can start on time. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. We can't do that. We are not the healer. We can't deliver anybody. We don't have the power in our own self, but we know when the Holy Spirit comes in the room that he's gonna do what he wants to do. He's gonna save the lost. He's gonna heal the sick. He's gonna deliver the oppressed. And all we gotta do is tear the roof off. Tear the roof. Come on, Vibrant. I want you to get this in your heart. Tear the roof off. Tear the roof off. Remove, remove the obstacle. Remove the... The obstacle. I remember hearing of Pastor Chuck Smith, which many of you, I'm sure, watched that movie, but uh, Jesus Revolution. Anybody see that movie? Chuck Smith was, and I haven't seen the movie, so if this is in the movie and I mess it up, uh, forgive me. 
Pastor Chuck Smith was in the 70s seeing this great attendance from the hippies. And they were coming in and people in the church were having such a hard time with this, this new group of people that didn't look like them, didn't sound like them, didn't, didn't you know, feel like them, didn't dress like them. And the people in the church were struggling with this, this big group of hippies coming to church with their bare feet and long hair and they smelled bad. And somebody said, they're gonna ruin the carpet. Some dirty feet, <laughs> if you're thinking they're gonna ruin the carpet. Said, they're gonna ruin the carpet, Pastor. And Pastor Chuck said, we're gonna rip up the carpet. Then rip up the carpet. What he was saying was, we're gonna remove the obstacles. We're gonna tear the roof off. Anything that stands in the way between them and Jesus, we're gonna do our part to create an environment where people are safe to bring people. Oh, I have so much in my heart right now. But, but I, I grew up, you know, I've told you before, I grew up in extreme Pentecostalism. Uh, and I, I'm thankful for my heritage. I'm thankful for my church. I'm so thankful for the power of the Holy Spirit and miracles and signs and wonders. And, and I can't tell you enough how thankful I am. But you weren't bringing, <laughs> you weren't bringing people to my church. <laughs> Ain't nobody walking in with a paralyzed dude tearing the roof off in our church. Because we were crazy. <laughs> say it lightly, because we did church, uh, we thought about our own sucker, it was just about us, it was, it was a very exclusive style of church, you had to understand it to get in it, had to be conditioned and trained to get what we were doing, and I'm not hating on anybody, and I love everything, and I love everybody, and I can still do all, and just hang in church, I'm cool, I'm cool. But that's not my ministry philosophy. I think if you're gonna reach people, you can't double down on making it complicated for people who are coming in who are unlearned and unsaved who are like, what the heck is going on around here? Is this a circus? Should I have paid some money? Is that what, the, is that what offering is, like admission for the circus? Is that what's happening? <laughs> Hear me today. I believe Vibrant Church, we have a heart for you to be open to bringing the broken, to bringing the hurting. And I'm not putting any churches down. Every church has their own ministry approach. But I believe this is a safe place to bring the broken. This is a place where it's, you shouldn't be afraid to bring people who need Jesus to any church. A healthy church doesn't just eat the sucker themselves. The last part, the Bible says that Jesus saw their faith. Isn't that interesting, Jesse, that when Jesus is in the situation, the Bible says that he makes no mention of the man's pitiful situation? He didn't, the Bible doesn't say that he saw the paralyzed man. The Bible doesn't say that Jesus' heart was moved with compassion for the man who was paralyzed. The Bible doesn't say anything about the man in the bed and, and looks at him and, 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 and feels sorry for him. No, no, the Bible says Jesus saw their faith. He saw their courage. He saw their willingness. He saw their, their strength, their the willingness to inconvenience themselves 
to not eat both suckers, to not make church about them, to not just see in Jesus for themselves, but they carried somebody to get, and the Bible says Jesus saw their, he saw their faith. And he looks at the man and says, your sins are forgiven. In a moment, in the presence of God, his, his eternal account, his debt is paid, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven to him. And Jesus heals him and says, pick up your bed. Pick up your bed and walk. In just a moment with the king, his life was changed forever. But it would have never happened if it wasn't for their faith. Who just believed that I can just get her, my coworker, my son, my daughter, if I can just get them in the house of God, if I can just, if I can just get them to Jesus. You know, you can't carry everybody, but you can carry somebody. And the kingdom of God is built and, and the church grows one life at a time, one family at a time, one daughter at a time, one paralytic at a time, one drug addict at a time, one confused business owner at a time, one hurting marriage at a time. And every time we have church, every time we have church, every time those doors open, Deanna, we got to think about these people. It just can't be both suckers for us. That seat next to you is for them. And we need to have in our heart the attitude that they need, that, that they had to bring people to Jesus. And that if they need guidance, bring them to the good shepherd. If they're lonely, bring them to the friend that sticks closer than a brother. If they need peace, bring them to the Prince of Peace. If they need a miracle, bring them to the miracle maker. If they need a shelter, bring them to the rock. If they need foundation, bring them to the cornerstone. If they need salvation, bring them to their Savior. If, they, if they're living in darkness, bring them to the light of the world. If they're thirsty, give them living water. If they need deliverance, bring them to the deliverer. If they need to find their way, bring them to the way. <laughs> if they're deceived, bring them to the truth. If they don't feel like they have anything we're living for, bring them to the life. Because when you find Jesus, you found the way, the truth, and the life. And when you find Jesus, you cannot get lost. And when you have Jesus, you cannot be deceived. And when you have Jesus, you have something worth living for. I don't know your story, but I could almost be confident that you're here today because somebody carries you. I could almost be confident I can walk around this room and talk to individuals that if it wasn't for Jesus healing you, you wouldn't be here. But if it wasn't for someone inviting you, you wouldn't know Jesus. Somebody bringing you. Somebody you experiencing God. Somebody just saying, hey, and again, I'm going to pick on my boy Russ Walker back here who I picked on a few weeks ago. Last Easter, 
sitting one, two, three, four, five. Where'd you sit last Easter? Do you remember? This is your only section, huh? Do you ever try anything else? Or Oh, right here. You know the seat? What's that? They told you where to sit. What's your guys' problem? I was on the phone with Russ yesterday, and Russ was telling me um, last Easter, Brad and Colleen, who's the row in front of him, invited him to church. And when you talk to Russ, he just begins to share about told me I'd never heard the gospel presented like that. I never gave his life to Christ. Came back the next week because I believe Colleen was getting baptized and your daughter, right? Baptized the next week, comes the next week. And he told me on the phone, he's like, something along the lines of like, I bet they never would have thought I was going to keep coming. But he's still here. <laughs> and not only does he keep coming, and I don't know if Scott's with you. Oh, Scott's right there. Scott, he's been bringing Scott. I'm just calling you. I'm calling all your business today. What's your address and your social? Let's tell everybody. <laughs> but Scott has been coming to church with him. And Scott told me in the lobby, he goes, Russ makes me watch you preach every day. <laughs> and I was talking to Russ on the phone, and he said, he started naming all the sermons. Like, real quick. And I'm like, did I preach that? <laughs> I don't even remember preaching that. Just all the stuff. All it was was Brad and Colleen grabbed a corner parking lot team grabbed a corner a greeter grabbed a corner worship team grabbed a corner when he stepped in this room one year ago next week life was totally Totally changed. Tyler, I talked to your brother yesterday on the phone. Big Mike, who's working right now, or I would really, really pick on him. He looks like Jesus, if you want to. He looks like he should be the one healing, not the one that's paralyzed. Last year, Easter. You were helping me, and you told me my brother's coming to church today. Will you just pray that he just gives his life to Jesus? Remember that conversation? And he sat somewhere right here, if I remember. And I preached, and I gave the invitation, if you want to know Jesus. This is last Easter. His brother. And Big Mike raised his hand said yes to Jesus and, and both of you have told me your wife Paige have told me it's, he's a totally different person and Tyler or, uh, and, and, and Mike told me on the phone yesterday if I look at where my life was 12 months ago to where it is today it could only be God it could only be God never know about Mike if it wasn't for Tyler and Paige grabbing a corner (laughs) 
greeters grabbing this parking lot ticket and just believing that this man needs Jesus. It may just sound like a normal closing service prayer to you and me. We've been doing this a long time. You've heard a hundred times. If you don't know Jesus in the room, if you don't know Jesus, I want you to raise your hand, give your life to Jesus. Everything could change in a moment in your life. And you could say 12 months from now, like Big Mike, that everything is changed and I'm a new creature in Christ. That could happen today. The longer we're in church, the less serious we take that moment. But there's somebody out there whose heart is beating so fast, who just knows that I'm on that bed. I need a miracle. I need Jesus. I need healing. I need to get out of this bed. I don't want to live this life without him. And I've come to tell you today, one life at a time. With eyes closed all over the room. If you don't know Jesus, and you feel like you're that paralyzed person on that mat right now, the shame, the condemnation, the hurt, the pain, the question marks over your heart and your life have been so severe that you've even wondered if you want to live another day. Can I tell you today, Jesus loves you. He cares about you. And I feel the anointing for some, if it's just one of you, I feel my heart pulled on somebody right now that you're in this room and Jesus is saying, today is the day of salvation right now. Don't run anymore. If you're in the room and you want to say yes to Jesus, for the first time. Commit your life. Make him Lord. Surrender your life to him. If you're ready for that decision and that commitment, I want you to do me a favor. Throw that hand nice and high in the air. I want to see it right where you're at. I'll wait for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Several hands. I see several hands today. Come on. This is it, church. This is why we do what we do right here. This is the moment for people to know God and to find freedom, discover their purpose, and to, to make a difference. Thank you for those hands. You can put those hands down. Thank you for the courage and the honesty to say, I want to say yes to Jesus and commit my life again. If all of you today will just repeat this prayer after me, say, dear God, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean with your blood. Make me new today. Bring healing to my life. I want to know you. I believe in you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Come on, can you let every one of them know today's the greatest decision of their life? If you're one of those people that said yes to Jesus, I want you to do a few things. I want you to tell somebody. Tell somebody. Post it. Tell your mama. Stop me in the lobby. Tell one of the pastors. Tell, tell anybody you see walking around, hey, I got saved today. And we're going to rejoice with you. If someone comes up to you, church, says they got saved today, you better get ready to shout the praises in the lobby, all right? It's a big deal. Here's the next thing for all of you. You ready? Here's what I want you to do. In the lobby after service today, I have, or the team has made available, all those crosses in the lobby, there's, there's, there are markers there. I want you to take a marker, and I want you to take a moment right now and begin to think in your heart, get out of this service in a few moments, Pastor Tommy and Miss Rita's coming in a moment to close, but I want you to hear me. I need you to write down the names of the people you're believing God to touch this Easter. Write the names of the people that are on that mat that you're going to bring. Who are you going to text this week? I need, I want to challenge you as your pastor. Easter is one of the services that people will just come to. They'll just come to it. You invite them. You heard the statistics. Here's what I need you to do. Think of seven people you can text. 
Now this isn't for me and the team to celebrate on Monday record attendance. This isn't, this does nothing for me if there's more people. But hear me today, it does everything for heaven when more people say yes to Jesus. Get as many people here in the next seven days. Get them here, get them. I would love to meet them, every VIP. I'm gonna stand at the VIP thing on Sundays or next Sunday for sure. I wanna meet them, I wanna talk to them. I want, to, I want the privilege to pastor them. And the, the key, the key, the key to this church making massive impact are four unnamed people that are willing to be anonymous but will carry the broken to Jesus. Aren't you thankful today, church? Come on, put your hands together. Give God big praise. Will you stand with us all over the room? This week, after you fill every name on those crosses, after you fill every name on that cross, our team, our pastors, our prayer team, we're gonna be gathering this week to pray over those crosses, okay? Every name. We're gonna believe that there's gonna be a wave of souls in seven days, not just in this church, but all over America. Amen, everybody. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you that every name that they're going to write on those crosses shall be saved, shall be healed, shall be delivered. They will experience the life-changing presence of Jesus, and we believe it today in the name of Jesus. Come on, give God a big praise in the house. Woo!